Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. This week, we're going to dive into the topic we hinted at last week, which is creating a meaningful workday. So last week, we talked about what doesn't work, those sort of platitudes that sound good on the surface, but are really not helpful for those of us with ADHD. In the coming weeks, we're going to dive into things that might explain why those statements aren't helpful and how we can approach work differently to create that meaningful work day. Cam, where are we going to kick it off? So we're going to kick it off really to, to follow up on last week around that distinction we made with respect to some of these statements. Some were helpful and some were not. And we realized that the ones that typically aren't helpful for our neurodivergent brains is that one that's sort of based in accountability and time. That kind of uh, age-old statement of you must be accountable for your time. And last week we talked about like, well, those of us with ADHD, we really don't get either of those things, time or accountability. And so we chuck them out for something else. And so the statements that do work are around like activation and prioritization, managing time and being accountable for your time for an eight-hour workday. We can really struggle with that. And so that's actually the theme for the next month. It's so tied to creating meaningful work. How do we have, and the statement we used was responsibility for our own impact. Like we want to be responsible and have an impact. And I think that's sort of our our place in there. But, you know, you know us, we're not going to just like tell you, you know, you can expect that we're not going to give you like the secret sauce and you're going to have a meaningful day tomorrow. This is really about unpacking what's going on to look at how you are showing up. And like Shelly did, and what we did around sleep was to sort of consider what's happening. What's your relationship there? What is not working? So that we can start to see where there's opportunities to create some meaningful change. So the exact same thing here, it's your relationship with your workday to start to look at that. And as we were thinking about this, I came across an old blog post I was out walking the dog and I was thinking, oh, you know, I wrote about this a couple of years ago and I lit upon this term that I really like and I know that you're going to immediately connect with it. And it's this idea of emotional organizing. So listeners, going back, way back, if you notice some of our topics or episode titles, they're around like these bigger concepts of doing what matters and your big agenda. This is so relevant. And in episode 14, after we unrolled our cause and effect metaphor, Mount Rainier and the lunch counter and this big divide between cause and effect and how ADHD disrupts cause and effect, we rolled out this sort of uh, a sheet to kind of look at these areas. So if you'll recall from episode 14, this is way back, I think uh, in early 2000, it was ADHD and doing what matters. And we started to kind of break down these areas. And I noticed that our statement of you must be accountable for your time actually is is two of these areas and maybe even three. So I'm just going to share those. And then we're going to get into this concept of of emotional organizing, Shelly. Is that okay? Sure. So this was like, again, a checklist in these areas to see 
if there was something that was important that you were avoiding or not getting to, right? This was around a task. And so it was level of interest. It was level of fun. It was level of urgency. That's the time piece. The level of ease. Is it easy? Is it more complicated? The emotional investment. How emotionally invested are you? Is it something you want to do? You feel like doing? Is it something you're avoiding? Accountability or kind of positive structures. And we're going to get back to accountability very soon because I know what you're doing over there, listener, with accountability. And we want you to kind of suspend your kind of punitive interpretation of that and really keep that one open because we're going to address that because we're big proponents of a positive take on accountability. Finally, there's relevance. This is relevance or significance. How important is it? So those are those areas, those categories of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven categories. And if you look at it, two of them are in that statement of I must account for my time. Accountability, number one. And then the urgency part, the timing part. When is it due? And what we do is when we are unable to activate and get going on the things that are relevant, and we don't necessarily, we can't utilize time like others do, we resort to another way. It's not like we're sitting here waiting for someone to explain time and accountability to us. We have stuff to do. And so we're going to do it and we're going to do it any way we can. And so the way we do it is, well, we use time in a sense of what is it that I have to do right now? It's the now, not now phenomenon. And that's how we prioritize is what is it that is absolutely necessary that I do that is time sensitive? So that's that urgency piece. And we are great responders. That's why when we talked about sleep and we're productive often toward the end of our day because our time window is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then we become a responder to that. The other one is around emotion. And this is this emotional organizing that I alluded to earlier, Shelley. So emotional organizing is really just down to this sort of visceral response to, or uh, this gut feeling of, do I feel like doing this right now? What do I feel like doing? What am I drawn to? And just as important, what am I avoiding? And we'll get into that. But that's where we're going to start is how much of that is coming into your workday where you're, you're letting emotion and urgency really govern what your choices are in your day. Cam, I love the language emotional organizing. I've never heard that term from you before, but I'm so glad that you recalled this blog all the way back from 2015 because it really is a perfect descriptor of what we see time and time again in ourselves and in our clients. This combination of emotional organizing and urgency-based prioritizing is detrimental to us. And it's something that I would venture to say most, if not all of my clients have on board in some ways. So I think it might be helpful if we talk about what emotional organizing could look like. Number one, Cam, you mentioned that you felt that your prolific idea generator fell under emotional organizing and that failure to complete. So can you say a little bit more about 
what that looks like and why that is emotional or was emotional organizing at the time. Sure. So this was the dilemma, right? When I did my own quote unquote sleep study here, recognizing I was trying to match my prolific idea generator. I was trying to match my output with my input. And the input was an idea. Got to run with it. An idea. Got to run with it. So it's like these tennis balls coming out of that damn machine that are lobbing over at you. And then, oh, let's go ahead and line up 17 tennis ball shooters. They call it the lobster, I recall, from my as a, ten, as a 10-year-old taking tennis lessons. And I was more fascinated, Shelly, by the mechanics of this device than actually playing tennis. But I don't <laughs> so these things are popping and you're, and you're swinging your racket trying to hit them back. And that's what I was trying to do. And here's the fascinating thing is that, so, so then our hyper-focus is here comes one and, and I can, for a moment, ignore all those tennis balls on the ground. Because here comes one, and I'm going to hit this one. And this has meaning. This one I'm going to hit. And so think about that. It's sort of like there's an emotional response there of, I can like undo all these failures with this grand slam. Mixing metaphors, I know people. But maybe, a, I don't know, a winning shot. In my return, I'm going to hit it into the corner of the court and win the game. And so there's an emotional response there that I'm assigning to this task. Maybe this is it. So the prolific idea generator pops something and all of a sudden there's interest, there's fascination, there's shiny object, there's novelty. And then I get focused on it and this sort of, again, attaching meaning quickly to I have to be successful here. So it's that weird expectation thing that I'm noticing with a lot of my clients is they'll like, come up with something, and then assign expectation immediately, like, I have to be successful with this. And there's no process for, like, filtering, sorting, deciding, or choosing. Back to the six C's around that commitment to action and and completion and celebration. So none of that, because that's how emotions work. So when you mix that, that plus the urgency piece, then guess what my day looks like. I'm just, I'm basically trying to hit these burning tennis balls. They're the ones that are on fire. And then all these other tennis balls are there lying there on the ground. And, you know, remember we, we, I think back to, it may have been doing what matters is we talked, we, we introduced this concept of the sleeping dog, sort of the, the quiet tennis ball, the one that's sitting there that got shot and it's no more it's no longer exciting because it's not in flight. I'm not about to catch it, make the, the big play. It's just there on the ground now. And they're all around me. So then I fight through my day. And it's this, um, it's, it is, again, this emotional experience. And so there I am drawn to certain ones. And as we said before the episode, then I start to avoid. I'm like, gingerly stepping around these tennis balls, avoiding at all costs. So avoidance, and there's that emotional, again, what does that trigger? Fear, trepidation, ah, that thing. Oh, yeah, I should have done that weeks ago. 
There's an emotional response to that. We start to just by default organize and prioritize our tasks by how we feel about them. And so those new flaming tennis balls, the ones that were brand new ideas, redemption ideas at that. I don't think you've mentioned that part of it before, Cam. The idea that this (laughs) idea would redeem you. (laughs) Sweet, sweet redemption, Shelley. Yeah, that this one idea, if you could knock it out of the park, would redeem you for all of the other tennis balls laying on the ground. Yes. So it's the cycle of novelty of there is a redemption tennis ball coming my way. This one I'm going to hit. But then the novelty fades. That ball falls to the ground like all of the others. And you're in this vicious cycle where you're largely being driven by novelty and what's exciting, by those emotions, and also by guilt and avoidance of the things that aren't being done as your actions are being driven by novelty and excitement. How interesting. Yeah. And what we're learning in ADHD land know it's the last five years, but we're still learning, is this connection between ADHD and emotional regulation. That our response is going to be more intense. It's super intense. That I'm going to redeem myself, that is just so visceral and so, right? It's like, it's so compelling. And the shame and guilt is likewise as equally compelling. I mean, it's like, it's like the tennis balls have like little teeth on them. And then if I, and I'm barefoot, I like, they're going to hurt me. These things are going to bite me and I have to avoid them at all costs. And so guess what? You know, we make a task list, you know, and then all day we're kind of trying, avoiding some and drawn to others. And so here's the steps to start with listeners is first of all, is it, is some variation of this happening in your day? When you're not able to get, get up and get productive and just march through your day and knock things off your list, do you have emotional organizing going on? It's okay. This is happening. It is what it is. So start with this sort of understanding it and starting to own it, part of our process. Is there someone you can translate this to? So, Cam, a lot of my clients identify with your prolific idea generator, and that manifestation of emotional organizing will make a lot of sense for them. But I want to talk about some other ways in which it might show up. So, for me, oftentimes it's the opposite, and it's the catastrophizer that takes over. So, while you were experiencing both the sort of white side of black and white thinking, the novelty, the excitement, the promise of redemption, you definitely had some of the black side too with the tennis balls in their teeth. For me, take that and sort of invert the whole thing, where for the most part, when I'm doing emotional organizing, it is more rooted in avoidance and catastrophizing. I feel that I've ruined something or that I'm not capable of doing something, or I'm afraid of something, or someone's going to be, is already, I've decided that someone is already mad at me because I haven't done something. And so I avoid, avoid, avoid to a point of pain. Now, I've gotten better with this, but I can give you an example from this morning where I almost did it. I almost did. I had a client last week 
who sent me a very lovely message saying, I'm so sorry. My heart hurts having to tell you this, but I have to take a break from coaching because my circumstances have changed. Well, that message came through at a time that I couldn't respond to it, and I cleared the notification. And so here we are four or five days later, and I remembered that message, and I went and found it. And in a previous life, that strong impulse to avoid, she's already mad at me. She doesn't want to hear from me now. I've already messed up this relationship. Just let it go. Let it lie. Would have won, and I wouldn't have responded. And even still this morning, it was there. I was able to overcome it, move past it, and know that that's not true. But that impulse was still absolutely there. So similar experiences driven by similar things because my response is not that different than yours, Cam. It's to go to what is novel and what has my attention and what is fun and exciting as a method of avoiding. Different entry point. So I think it's interesting to sort of compare and contrast to those experiences as a way to frame for our listeners what might be happening for you because your manifestation may fall somewhere very much in the middle of these two experiences. Or maybe very different completely from my experience or Cam's. Yeah, and, and I love your word there of, of, of inverting. You invert it there. I will have the same experience. It's not, I will do the exact same thing. So it could be, again, that's the maddening part. And why the Mount Rainier metaphor works so well is because it's that ring and that how ADHD manifests is so different for different people. But when you kind of come back to the source and where it all emanates from, it's from these executive function breakdowns. But in both situations there, I just was thinking about this, that catastrophizing is creating an unrealistic picture. And then we build the emotion around that picture to make it compelling. They hate me and I have proof, right? Because the proof is in my feelings. This is real. And so we create these these unrealistic pictures. And guess what? That's what we do much of our day. One of the sleep study, again, air quotes of to study your work day is to notice where's your attention going. We're going to do an episode on imposter syndrome, and I'm taking the lead on that one because I have a degree in imposter syndrome. I have an advanced degree there, and you cannot imagine the fabrication, the fabricating that I would do in my head around judge, jury, and executioner of how I was not showing up, how I was not being a contributing member of the community. And you imagine what that does for motivation, for activation, for clarifying what matters and taking steps to make that happen, to get meaningful completions in your day. It just, it becomes this, you use a term, undifferentiated mass, and then just light the whole thing on fire. Yeah. I love that you brought the undifferentiated mass into this because that's what it becomes. It's not just that one client I didn't answer, but there's maybe two or three or four. Maybe I'm not even sure how many there are because I'm avoiding doing the work of even going in and finding out who I owe communication to, which is definitely a previous pattern. So this morning, even sitting down and finding the communication from that client, because there are a few different places in which it could have shown up, 
And since I cleared the notification, I wasn't sure where it was. That unto itself was something I might not have done before. So then you don't know what's hanging out there and you have that hanging over you like a dark cloud. And it's impossible in those circumstances to get motivated by anything real. We escape to fantasy, the fantasy of novelty and excitement or the fantasy of avoidance, of me time, of I'm just taking a day off, I'm relaxing, but the things we are actually doing are not the things that we would be doing if we were truly at choice. Right. And so above the lunch counter, this is about the biggest signal. And so, yes, we have interest-based attention systems, but the interest-based attention system is it's based on the biggest signal and negative signals tend to be greater than positive signals. So what we do is we, again, construct this picture and then it's, it's like, it's like a bird dog going after a bird. It's like, it's, it's, it's lock on time and we don't, it's hard to, to break off from that. The thing I, the other thing we'll do is we will quick to assign this meaning of like, I, so often I will hear clients say, well, that's boring. That bores me. And it's this, again, jumping to a conclusion. If I just stop and just sort of like, you know, put an oven mitt on and pick up one of those damn balls that has teeth and look at it and turn it around, I'll realize that, hmm, well, it's not going to bite me. Or if it does, I hold it a certain way. It's like picking up a crab, right? You don't pick it up by the claw. But to pick it up and look at it, like you said this morning, it was, it was this pause to consider and, and dig in. And that's what I realized was really the missing thing for me, was that I have these things and I had to really start to manage this prolific idea generator. I had to manage the catastrophe generator. I had to start managing that because I couldn't be on the, you know, the Lucille Ball and the chocolate factory, couldn't be on the end of trying to catch all those chocolates and box them up. I had to start to understand the controls of these. And so notice that Shelly and I are talking about this stuff around the emotional organizing. It, it tends to be internal. It's this dialogue that we construct in our brain. And so when we start to kind of externalize this, either get it out on a piece of paper or start to talk to people. And that's what I realized is my success around having a meaningful workday was clarifying nuggets of meaningful work. Then I could kind of reintegrate it or reconvert it back into time and accountability. But I had to understand and discern what was a meaningful chunk of work? And I couldn't do that by myself easily. So I've surrounded myself with people like Shelly, like Denslow, like Casey, like Ellen, like Liz, okay, where I am sharing this accountability thing, not being answerable, but dialoguing, dialoguing, discussing, because I'm a verbal processor, and then tweaking and clarifying what is the job? What's my part? And then from that, I create curiosity and interest and overstep this sort of that inertia of getting started. Then an agreement to get back together again. I have weekly conversations with about four people. And so I know I'm going to have that conversation and I'm never going to wave that off because if I wave that off, I'm going to, it's like a four wheel drive and a big bog. I'm going to get bogged down, people. 
I want to back up to the start of your statement there that the emotional language, when we do emotional organizing, it's internal. And I want to repeat a camism here because I think it's helpful. And that is our brains are wired for context. To live in an ADHD brain is to live in a brain that is wired for context. And so when we are missing context, we tend to fill in the gaps ourselves. Our brain tends to generate context where we do not have it. So that person we haven't responded to, where you're building up a whole story about how they're upset or angry at you or they hate you, generating context. That is what we are doing. So I think it's important to just point that out, that this is that same phenomenon. And so, Cam, the accountability stuff of working with other people is huge for you, but it kind of starts with the verbalizing and externalizing it so that you can distinguish between what is real what, what do you know? What is the actual context here? And what have you fabricated? <laughs> so this is really good because here's the, here's the thing I used to do. I used to like, you know, blurt all the scary stuff <laughs> to people, you know, like you, you don't, you know, what are you thinking? You're, what are you thinking? You know, like, like with skepticism and suspicion and like, you know, like, uh, like accusatory and they're like, what? What? Huh? You know, so yes, you gotta, you gotta like kind of do your own little work first before you scare, uh, share the scary show that's going on in your head. Like, okay, wait a sec. Let's just give the benefit of the doubt that maybe it's not as scary as I think it is. Number one. Number two, there are people around me that want to help me. Number three, let me kind of like, again, get some space around this and consider and consider something other than just my emotional response to the dilemma. Maybe it is more complex than I'm giving it credit. Maybe it's something that I, you know, I can't create urgency around it. And it's one of those quadrant two important, not urgent things that I'm going to have to pick up a couple times and consider like, what's the ask? But I will say that you know, instead of what I started to do was instead of populating my terrain with all these scary um, tennis balls, you know, with teeth and on fire or worse, what are people thinking? I started to kind of like build out these sort of um, workbenches with people. And when I did that with people, then I was starting to diversify my own attention. Because that's the susceptible thing here. If I put something down, it's likely I'm not going to pick it up again for a number of reasons. And we're going to go into that in another episode. But having someone else to like, oh yeah, let's re-familiarize ourselves with this, with this workshop that we're working in. What are we constructing? That became the fascinating thing. That became the interest. What are we crafting together? And then this interesting thing that happens with emotion is I started to let emotion kind of come in at the end around the completion. That's a serotonin response to accomplishment, a sense of putting an episode in a can. That's serotonin. That's emotion. And not letting emotion be kind of the, the front end block or decider of how I was going to work my day. So 
something else I will add to externalizing to get the context and something that I've been doing recently in the context of doing the show together, Cam, is noticing when I'm assigning emotion to someone else and verbalizing that. So I'm going through a divorce and a business restructure and I'm trying to move all in the air of COVID. (laughs) And so Cam has taken on a lot of work with the podcast and he gets a lot of silence from me sometimes. And there have been several Mondays where I show up and I'm like, I'm sorry that I've been a bat. Wait, nope, let me stop. I'm putting words in your mouth. (laughs) I'll start to go down that road and I will stop myself and say, wait a minute, I am assigning feeling and emotion and upset to you that you have not articulated to me. And I trust you more than that. We have a stronger partnership than that. I know that if you need something from me that you're not getting or you need me to step it up, you will say something to me and I trust in that because you and I have created that type of relationship. Okay, so this is high-level translating stuff that Cam and I have done. But the important thing here is the noticing. The noticing when I am assigning language to somebody that they have not said to me or given me any reason to believe is there. Okay, so we're getting low on time for today, Cam. Yeah, can I say one more thing? Sure. What can happen with emotional organizing is that it's this sort of circling the wagons and we, it's isolating. It's really down to sense of self and it's like we're constructing everything. And so there was a trust thing that happened there was you broaden your circle. You went to sort of consider, well, maybe there's a different thing that's happening here. And so, as you said, it's like, let me kind of, let me not put words in your mouth to consider your scope beyond Shelley and Shelley's experience. And that is actually a sign of emotional health to integrate yourself with others and your environment, to appreciate all of that and not kind of circle the wagon down into, again, the only experience is my experience. Yeah, which for me would end in being in Hoth. Right. Cutting myself off, not showing up. Right. Yeah. Awesome stuff today. So you want to wrap here? Yeah, let's wrap. This is really good. So two things. Number one, we haven't asked for this in a while. So I'm just going to throw this out there. The number one way that you can help the show is to leave a review or rating wherever you listen. So if you like what we're doing here, if you can take a moment to do that, that would be wonderful. Number two, we have a Discord community now for our Patreon subscribers, which is another way for you to support the show. To join, visit the website, translatingadhd.com. Click on the Patreon link in the upper right-hand corner. Subscribe for $5 a month, and you're in. And until next week, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks for listening.